Welcome to Get the Balance Right, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs who challenge the status quo. I'm your host, Heather Zeitz-Wolf, and I'm on a mission to help and inspire visionaries to grow their firms with a keen focus on their triple bottom line. Join me for conversations with purpose-driven leaders, business disruptors, CEOs, and renegades in digital media, marketing, advertising, and design. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Get the Balance Right Podcast. I am your host, Heather Zeitzwolf. On this episode, we are joined by Rachel Cook. Yes, the same Rachel Cook that was recently on Pat Flynn's podcast. Besides being an award-winning business strategist, she is the host of the Promote Yourself to CEO podcast. She's also the woman behind the CEO Collective, a 12-month experience to guide entrepreneurs to create sustainable success in their business. We got to love that, right? If that wasn't enough, Rachel is on a mission to end entrepreneurial poverty for women. Let's face it, Rachel is a smarty pants, and I love talking with thought leaders. I must admit, I was a little nervous to have Rachel on the podcast. Needless to say, I am a big fan of hers, and admittedly, I was a little bit starstruck. The show's topic is strategic planning for predictable profits. We discuss designing your business to have one signature offer and how this approach will allow you to scale without all the hustle. You may have caught on the podcast a few weeks ago when we talked to Leslie Lyons. We were talking about our core values for the show. In this show, towards the end of the interview, Rachel and I discuss the values again and how she approaches them in her own life. You can read more about them by clicking the link in the show notes. But as a reference, here they are for later. Our core values. One, be ethical, compassionate, and fair. Speak up for what you believe in. Make a positive impact on the world. Two, be passionate about learning. Information is power. Embrace data and technology to unlock and drive possibilities. Three, be disruptive and rebellious. Go against the status quo. Normal is boring and lacks imagination. And four, be authentic, be humble and thankful. Make real human connections. Own your mistakes and learn from them. Okay, now here is my interview with the lovely and talented Rachel Cook. Rachel Cook, welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited that you're here today. I am so thrilled to join you, Heather. Thank you for having me. Before we dive into our really fun topic for today, which is strategic planning for predictable profits, and I'm all about profits, why don't you tell the audience just a little bit about yourself and the program and the podcast that you've developed? Yes. So I am a consultant and business growth strategist by trade and training, have been since I finished my MBA in 2005. And over the last 12 years, I've really found a passion and purpose for helping women entrepreneurs to create sustainable businesses for themselves. And when I was coming into this whole space, I always felt like kind of the odd person out. It was dominated by men. There weren't many working mothers. There weren't many people talking about how to build an incredible business while living a beautifully full life. And so that's what I have been doing. And over the last few years, we've really narrowed in on what is now the CEO Collective, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and scale primarily service-based businesses. And my podcast, Promote Yourself to CEO, is on year six now, if you can believe it. A couple name changes in there, but that's 
primarily what I've been doing is helping women step into that role of CEO and learn how to not just do it all on their own so that they can find that freedom and flexibility that they were really looking for when they started their business. That's fabulous. Congratulations on so many years of your podcast. That's incredible. It's been a journey. I I have to say, and you probably have found this too, of all the different things I've done, I mean, I have done videos and Facebook lives and blogs and everything, but there's something so cool about podcasting because it's like you get to go into people's daily lives. And that's what I hear from anyone who listens to my show. They're like, well, you went on my run with me yesterday. And I'm like, good. Does that count for me too? (laughs) Or you took me to, you know, on a road trip. And I was like, oh, I'm glad I got to ride along with you. (laughs) They really take you with them. And it makes this different connection than I think you can get in any other medium. I know it's really interesting how it's so intimate. And when I've gone on trips before and listened to podcasts as I was walking around the city, like the theme song of that podcast. Now, whenever I hear it, I think of that trip that I took. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love doing the podcast for sure. Hey there, this is Heather. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, if you wouldn't mind, please hit the subscribe button now. That way you'll never miss an episode. All right, now back to the podcast. Before we dive into strategic planning for predictable profits, I want to dive into this idea of entrepreneurial poverty. So I'll give you a little context, a little story of how I kind of went down this rabbit hole. In 2014, I was invited to go speak at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. It's in Washington, D.C., in this amazing, beautiful, historic building lining the National Mall. I went in to speak at this big event, and it was hosted by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, but for their Center for Women in Business. And as I started talking to the people who ran that whole thing, I got some interesting statistics from them. What I discovered was that only 12% of women entrepreneurs are breaking $100,000 in annual revenue. Only 2 to 3% are breaking a $1 million in annual revenue. On average, women-owned businesses undercharge 28% less than men doing the same type of work. And it started to get me thinking because I know I left the traditional corporate consulting world because I was feeling a lot of the things we talk about that women face in the consulting or in corporate world in general, where you feel like you can either go down your career path that you really can see yourself going down, or you can completely stop everything and become a mom. And that was the decision that really had me wanting to get into doing my own thing because I wanted a family and I could not see anybody like me who was doing it well, doing that career well, while also having small children. And so I started going down the rabbit hole some more and I was like, okay, how can we really have it all? Is that even a thing? Is that possible? And what I discovered is women are not only paid less and make less in their businesses, but they usually have less time freedom than they had hoped for. And they also start to have less energy long-term. And this becomes a trifecta of what I call entrepreneurial poverty because we, a lot of the women I work with started their business for more freedom, for the ability to make um, amazing financial independence for themselves and their family, for the flexibility of building their business the way that they want. 
But what they often run into, and the statistics support me in this, is they're not making as much money as they had really hoped. They are depleted because they are doing so much all by themselves. So they have no energy to continue to do the things they want in their life. I realized there had to be more of a holistic approach to building businesses because the messages that are out there in the world that are primarily shared by men, they're not facing the same things that we face as women. They're not facing the same challenges. You rarely hear about men having to choose between being a parent and being ambitious in their career, or men have to take a step back in their career because they have to take care of aging parents, which I've also been in that sandwich generation where I both have small kids and a disabled mom. These are all issues that impact women far more than they do for men. That's where I have been coming in to say, okay, we need to escape entrepreneurial poverty. We need to talk about how can we build more sustainable businesses that don't require us to work 24 seven, that don't require us to be on demand to everybody and make sure that there are businesses that are predictably profitable so that when we need to take time off, whether it's for a vacation or because you're ill or because you just want to have some time with your friends or family or whoever you care about, that it doesn't impact your business. I do people's tax returns. So I see a lot of small businesses and how they're spending their money, how they're not receiving enough revenue. But another thing that I find just flabbergasting is that they will pay other people, contractors, employees, far more than what they receive because they think, oh, I've got all this income coming in, but they're not really looking at what the net income is. It's actually pretty tragic. They might be happy that they don't really have to pay much in taxes, but that's not really a good thing. No, absolutely. I think this is one of the things where, I mean, and you see this with taxes. No one really understands how taxes work. Well, when you start a business, no one really goes into business thinking, how do I make sure I have the salary I want first? What is the salary I want first? And then build the business to support that. Usually what happens is entrepreneurs wait and they get whatever scraps are left over at the end of the month. Like, Ooh, I have a little bit left over. I can pay myself this month and we need to build it differently. One of the first things I always do is sit down and say, okay, you're CEO of this company. What is your CEO compensation package going to look like? And then we're going to get the company to fund that for you. This might look different for everybody, but I would never go take a full-time job if they didn't offer me paid vacation, if they didn't offer me benefits. If I didn't have some good perks to the job, I made sure I listed out all the things. Like if I were to have my dream job, what would I want to get paid? How much time off would I have? What would my flexibility look like? How much would I have in retirement? How much would I be able for life insurance or disability insurance or any of those things? And I actually thought through all of those little pieces. And that's what I encourage my clients to do, because if we can't get clarity on how you're going to take care of yourself, you will not have longevity as an entrepreneur, especially, and this is something I get really passionate about, women are more likely to either be divorced or outlive their partner. And more women in old age are in the poverty level. Three out of four women are under the poverty level once they get past a certain age. It is because we don't have these financial things in place and we haven't made sure that we have those things in place. So if we want to make sure we're building that security for ourselves, we have to think like this. We can't just hope and cross our fingers that the business will make that happen. You have a CEO scorecard. What is that exactly? I developed an entire system to help my clients understand the value of their time, because often we only think of the time that we're actively getting paid, like our billable hours or what our clients have paid us to do work with them. What we don't tend to account for is all the other stuff that takes up running a business. And the truth is not all tasks are 
the same value for your business. It is really hard to understand that though, until you do two things, until you track your time and energy and until you pay attention to how much energy are you giving to lower value tasks versus higher value tasks. So I actually put together a scorecard approach, which is something that comes from my consulting days. But basically you you track all your time And then for every task you did, you give it a value. There are $10 an hour tasks. These are usually admin tasks, customer service, very basic level tasks. Then there's the $100 an hour tasks. These are usually a little bit more skilled, but they're not really growing the business. They're kind of just maintaining the business. Then we get into the $1,000 and $10,000 an hour tasks. Now, as the CEO, you don't want to spend time in the $10 an hour bucket. You want to spend it in the higher level $10,000 an hour bucket or $1,000 an hour bucket. These are going to be sales related tasks, strategic planning related tasks, leadership tasks, or making sure that your business is going out there and getting the visibility it needs in order to bring in the sales that you want. The scorecard approach is really about giving ourselves a frame of reference to understand what your sweat equity is. Like, are you putting your time and energy in the right place? Because if you were getting paid, let's say a million dollars a year, or if you were running a million dollar a year business, and would you answer all your emails yourself? Or would you be doing your bookkeeping yourself? Well, if your goal is the million dollar a year business, we have to shift how you're showing up today. We can't wait till you get there to finally get that support or to finally put the systems in place. If a, an entrepreneur is in that growing stage where if they hire people, then they might go into entrepreneurial poverty. So it's finding that balance. Now, I realize that if they you know, just got a few hours off their plate, then that would free up enough time to do these higher level activities. How do you balance that? Yeah, I believe in sustainable growth. I have definitely seen businesses implode because they try to go after growth at all costs. And these are the businesses, it sounds cool, right? Like double, triple your business in a year. But when you understand what goes on behind the scenes, if you were to double or triple your client load, do you have the infrastructure or the systems or the customer support team? Are you able to deliver all of that? Like there's a lot that goes into rapid growth. So I tend to look for about 25 to 40% a year, I feel like is more sustainable. So if you're aiming to grow at about 25 to 40% a year, you'll double your business in a few years, which means you can take your time finding some support and hiring people a little bit at a time and then helping them grow with you. You don't have to over-invest in help. And these days, I mean, this is something that was such a shocker to me when I started building out my team. In my mind, I thought, I have to have employees And it's going to cost so much money for me to have support. And then I realized, oh, there's people who they actually just want to support me. They want to be my assistant. They love the idea that they can do this work from home. It takes a couple hours a day. And if they free up that couple hours a day for me, I can spend those couple hours on sales calls or working on my visibility for my business. It was really about buying back my time, like $500 a month at a time until I could free up most of my time and energy. Now, if you were to look at my calendar, I really don't spend any time in admin or operations at all. The day-to-day is handled. Someone else is taking that on. I didn't start there. It took me a couple of years, but I did start with an assistant who could tackle the one thing that was becoming a bottleneck for me. And that was managing my inbox, managing customer service, managing scheduling, all of those things. And just getting some help about five hours a week was the first step towards getting my time back to focus on the higher value tasks. 
On your podcast, you talk about predictable profits and not constantly being in this hustle mode. And I believe that hustle mode, although it sounds cool to hustle, it's really not a good situation to be in constantly. So can you explain a little bit more about the importance that you feel of predictable profits? gives you. Yeah. Well, one thing is let's talk about what it gives you. What it gives you is peace of mind, knowing that you're not going to have to start each month at zero. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs go through this. The first of the month, they're like, okay, fresh start. I've got to go out there and get clients. I got to fill my calendar. I got to make sure everything's happening. They don't have any revenue already booked for that month. And I see this a lot, especially for people who are service-based, who are healing or helping entrepreneurs. They're constantly trying to sell one hour at a time of their work. That is a really hard place to be because what if you can't fill all those hours that month? What if you have clients who are canceling on you? What if you just want to take a break or plan for maternity leave or anything? It's almost impossible if you don't have something already coming in. You're not giving yourself the flexibility you need in your business. What I love is that at the start of each month, I've already got all of my expenses, including my salary covered. That's the power of having predictable profits because I planned my business to give me that peace of mind. I know what it costs to run my business, pay my team and pay myself. I've designed all of my offers in a way that make it really easy for me to get paid, that make it really easy for every month I have that recurring payment coming in. This is one reason I'm a huge fan of retainers or payment plans or things like that because over time as you continue bringing on more clients then you have that consistent revenue coming in. So a great example of this, you work in taxes and and all of the financial side of things. Usually when I've worked with a CPA in the past, it's been, I don't really have much interaction with them until tax time. And then they do their thing and I get a bill and that's it. But I imagine that's a really hard business model because you're really only getting a lot of cash once at one time of the year. Well, I started working with a new CPA And he said, okay, Rach, this is the new system that I'm putting in place. It's like, let me hear it. He's like, I have a rate for doing the final tax preparation stuff. But what I really want to do is put you on a monthly retainer. And this covers our quarterly call to make sure that everything is in order. I want to put it on auto pay. And that way we've already got this built into the system. I don't have to wait or try to remember to call him to book that quarterly appointment to make sure we're all good for whatever we need to turn in quarterly. It's already scheduled and he doesn't have to wait around until tax time for all of his revenue to come in. He's already planned it by making sure all of his clients who he's working with in this way are paying him a little bit each month. It smooths out the cash flow and just makes life for everybody a little bit easier. And I think that's a shift for a lot of us to think about how can we make sure we're getting paid from our clients every month instead of just these big spikes here and there. Yeah, I have opinions about that once a year type thing with the CPAs. I think that model is completely broken and people need to have interaction with their accountant, CPA, bookkeepers all throughout the year so that they can make actual decisions that will be effective instead of the end of the year. It's just a reactive situation, which is terrible. Well, and this plays out in almost every industry that I see is a lot of times people are reactive in how they're interacting with their clients. They're waiting for something to break for their client to show up. Think about like a physical therapist or a chiropractor. If they're waiting for their client to be in so much pain that then they show up and spend a lot of money, are they really doing that client the best service they can? 
compared to saying, hey, I have a membership program that you can join and you can pay monthly and you'll get this many sessions to come in each month. It gives them the steady cash flow, but what it also does, it gives their client the proactive support they need to make sure that they're really getting the results that they're looking for. And that's a big shift. That's a huge shift for a lot of people to be thinking in that way. entrepreneur? Are you stressing out over your cash flow? Are you always confused by your bank balance? Well, you know what? You're not alone. Lots of business owners struggle with this, but you don't have to. I'm Heather Zeitzwolf. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also a CPA. I can help you get your cash flow under control so that it's predictable and so you're profitable. Learn how by setting up a discovery call with me now. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. On your podcast, you were talking about your clients have one offer. How do you get your clients to get started with just one offer? I'm sure a lot of people say, oh, I've got all these different services that I can provide. I want to put all these things on my website. How do you get them to just narrow down to this one offer? Well, sometimes we don't start with just one because... Sometimes you need a little trial and error to figure out what's going to work and what's going to be the offer. And sometimes what we start with isn't ultimately what we end up with. We adapt and we iterate and we evolve as we go. But what I find is for each offer you have, you have to not only build out a marketing system and a sales system, but you also have to have a delivery system on the back end of it to make sure everybody's getting what they want to get them results. So the more offers you have, the more of these systems you have, you have three different offers That means you have nine different systems happening at the same time. If you have more than that, it gets even harder because now are we effectively marketing that offer? Are we becoming known for that offer? Do we know how to sell this the most efficient way? Do we know how to get the best results for every single person? It's almost like the more offers you have, the more diluted you start to get. And it's harder to become known for something. That's the big thing. So I tend to say, what can we do to build a foundational offer that you're going to get known for? And let's really take our time. Let's take a year, two years to build out all the systems that you truly need in order to scale that one offer to six figures. If we don't have all the systems in place to scale that offer to at least six figures in revenue, then just adding more offers isn't really going to help us because it's going to dilute your marketing efforts. It's going to dilute your sales efforts. But once we have that systems in place... Once that's working for you really easily, then you might be like, okay, I need a next offer for the people who've gone through this. What's the next thing? And then you build that and you scale that and make sure that it's all running as smoothly as possible. I think it's really easy when we look at, especially businesses like, let's think about Amazon. They have everything on you could possibly want on Amazon. But if you were around when Amazon started, you know that they started with just books. They got really good at just books. And you know what they were doing the whole time they were getting really good at just books? They were perfecting their marketing process. They were perfecting how they sold things. What they really perfected was the logistics on the back end to deliver things as efficiently and as cost effectively as possible. We don't see that now and how much time and energy it took them to get all those systems down. But once they got them down, then it became really easy to say, oh, you know what? If people like books from us, I bet they'll also buy this from us. And they slowly started to add out the things, but only once they had these other systems in place. 
Exactly. Now, with these offers, people always talk about how you have to have three tiers of your pricing. So with this offer, could it have three different options within this offer? Are you talking about just like one core offer? I think the answer is it depends because it depends what you're doing. I like having maybe two options. Three can get a little trickier because the more options we give potential clients, the more decisions they have to make. So I'm a big fan of streamlining things so that there's not as much friction in the decision-making process. So let's say your offer, let's say you're a coach and you are coming up with a signature coaching process you want to take people through. So maybe you have this signature process, you've built it out into a coaching program, and people can join this coaching program for $1,000. Well, they could also buy that same coaching program, and now you've added some one-on-one support on top of it. Let's say for each month that they're in this group program, they can also get an additional one or two sessions with you one-on-one. Now you have one core offer, the sales, the marketing mechanisms are the same. The delivery mechanism is mostly the same except for that little add-on. And that can be a great way to serve people a little bit differently and give them a few options without it causing too much complication in your business. I love that. When it comes to pricing the offer, how do you figure that one out? Is that also trial and error as you're trying to sell this thing? Pricing is like a whole nother conversation. I bet you see this because you look at people's numbers all day. Pricing is an art and a science, but there is, there's a lid for every pot. There's a price for every person, right? I think if you know your dream clients really well and you know what the values are for your business and what the results are that they're getting, it really, just pick a price. I tend to just say, pick something and start there. And you don't know until you've tested with your market, how they're going to respond to it. I've had conversations with people where they would look at, let's say my CEO accelerator, which is the mastermind experience I run. And One year I had somebody on one sales call for it be like, okay, this would be a major investment for me in my business. I've never spent this much working with somebody for a whole year. The next call was, I can't believe what a great value this is. It's all perception. When I sit down to work out pricing with my clients, I really think about like, what is the time and energy you're putting into this? How many clients do you really need in order to achieve your own financial goals? And what are the things they're going to value the most out of this experience? So we have to kind of make all of those things work in order to land on the right price. What I don't like to do for pricing is look at what everybody else is doing and then say, oh, well, this is probably worth $97. Like, let's actually figure out what what it's worth. Because if you look out in the market, there's probably somebody selling something for $97 and another person selling the exact same thing at $997 and another person selling it for, you know, $9,997. It's just, they're all probably talking to slightly different audiences and have different values put on those. And you don't want price to be the differentiator between who's the lowest provider. This is where understanding your customer is so important because there are always going to be bargain hunters. If you are building your business around bargain hunters, it is not going to be a fun experience because the bargain hunters are the ones who want the absolute most for the least amount. And we want it to be an equal exchange here. If I'm showing up and giving you an hour of my time, it's not just an hour of my time. It's my MBA and 15 years of experience. It's working with thousands of people. How do you compensate for that? Well, I can't just look at any other person and say, oh, well, they charge $250 an hour. So that's what I should charge. I have to really think through, okay, if I'm giving them an hour of my time here, how do I need to be appropriately compensated 
for that to make sense. Exactly. Rachel, how can people work with you? You have all kinds of programs and they can listen to your podcast, but what are some of the programs that you have right now? So we've actually just streamlined everything down. Thank you, COVID, very much. Currently, the the best way to learn more about working with me is to head to rachelcook.com. I am primarily working with women through the CEO Collective, which is a 12-month experience to create sustainable success in your business. It has been really fun to roll this out. We rolled it out a month into COVID, which wasn't obviously the plan, but it's still been an amazing experience to work with the women that we've been bringing in through the program. And my favorite part about it is even though this year has been wild and a lot of people's businesses have been through a lot, we've been seeing people making more money while working less because they're starting to implement the same systems that I've been talking with you about today. So you can come learn more about that at rachelcook.com. And you can also find me on Instagram. It's my favorite place to chat. Make sure you take a quick little screenshot, tag us both, and let me know what your insight or aha was from today. Awesome. Thank you. We're going to start a new thing on this show, which is to talk about our values. And I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. What do you believe is your way of making a positive impact on the world? This is an interesting question. I actually think my way of making a positive impact on the world is by me showing up and leading by example. I think that is the best way to make change is not to tell other people they need to change or try to force other people to believe what you believe, but to show them what's possible. And by showing them what's possible, by you doing you, it has a ripple effect of giving people permission almost to go after what they really want to go after or do things differently than they thought they could. I love that. Rachel, you are truly an inspiration, really. Thank you. Thank you. And embracing technology. Do you embrace technology and do you feel that it can unlock possibilities? I would not have the business I have if it wasn't for technology. When I started this business in 2008, it was just when certain things were becoming available. It was when GoToMeeting became available publicly and you didn't have to have like an enterprise level account. It was when you could get a conference call line. And again, you didn't have to have enterprise level things. It's only gotten easier. It's only gotten easier. If y'all only knew how hard it was to build a website in 2008 and how many times I wanted to throw a computer out the window. But now it's like there's a tool, a software, a app to do so many things. It's really amazing that we can have this global reach because of it. Every day when I talk to somebody, I'm always picking their brain about what software that they use. And I always discover something new. And it's like, how did I not know about this? I just found out about a process developing app yesterday. I was like, what? How did I not know about this? Another one of our values is to be disruptive, rebellious and go against the status quo. How do you do that? It's funny because when you say disruptive and rebellious, I'm like, that's totally not me. But actually, I've done a lot of things against the status quo. Just the business I built, the way that I built it was very much against the status quo. Probably the thing I'm the proudest of is the fact that I'm the sole breadwinner for my family. I retired my husband seven years ago now. He's now a stay-at-home dad living his very best life, renovating things around the house. And people are always confused because that is still such an unusual dynamic, I think, for a lot of families with young kids. But it makes me really proud to know that my kids are growing up watching a mom build something and and go after things and be ambitious and make a difference. They ask me, what do you do? And they they could tell you what I do. They said, mom's, she writes books. And she records a podcast, but it's opening them up to things that I don't think many kids get to see their moms going after stuff. 
like this. It's a, a paradigm I, I want more of us to do for our kids, for boys and girls. I think girls need great examples of ambitious women. And I think boys need great examples of ambitious women and how to truly support each other in that different way. I agree. And I think we are on the cusp of a new revolution with women in charge. I hope so. That is ultimately my goal. (laughs) How can we get more women in positions of power? Because when more women are in positions of power, when we're leading more companies, when we are leading in government, when we are leading in our local communities, when we are leading in education, all these different areas, it makes the biggest ripple effect because we are more apt to, as we rise, to share that with others and to support others going along that journey too. Yeah, exactly. And the last one is to be authentic, be humble and thankful, be real human and learn from our mistakes. Do any of these resonate with you? All of the above, all of the above. I think one of the things that you said around mistakes there though, I think this is something we need to talk about for entrepreneurs as a whole more, especially for women. We tend to be afraid of making mistakes A lot of the women that I work with, the biggest reason they hold themselves back is they don't want to be a failure. They're afraid of failure. And if they make a mistake, they make it mean something about them as a person. And I love, I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard this thing that says fail means first attempt in learning. We need to remind ourselves that, that the only way we're going to be successful in any area is to know that failure is part of the journey. Making mistakes is part of the journey. Our goal is really to fail as fast as we can because that's where we learn the most and then get on the other side of it. Yeah, when I became an entrepreneur, I said to myself, I'm going to allow you to fail. And that was a difficult thing for me. It opened up all these different possibilities for myself to try different things. Absolutely. We're all going to try things that aren't going to go well. We're all going to have marketing things we try that are like, eh, didn't really get anywhere. We're going to try to launch programs that no one buys. We're going to have all sorts of stuff go wrong, but the more we can learn to just keep moving past it, take the lesson and keep going, the easier it gets. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been a total delight having you on. And I I don't know why, but you've made me so nervous today. And I've not, (laughs) not been nervous about anybody that I've interviewed, but today, I don't know why I've got a little bit of the jitters. Oh, you're so funny. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And I look forward to hearing from anybody who got a little nugget from our conversation. Awesome. Hey, this is Heather. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you found value in the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave me a rating on iTunes or just simply tell a friend about it. And if you're interested in learning more about my profit advising and coaching, please set up a discovery call by using the link in the show notes. All right. Thanks so much and see you next time.